Thank you, Paul. Glad to have so many gifted people. Thanks, brother, that are using their talents for the Lord and the worship team. Well, good morning, everyone. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Numbers. And we're going to be looking at chapter 22 this morning. Before we do that, though, I want us to take a moment or two to pray. Remember when you were little and your mom taught you how to act in church? Like, be quiet, she would give you a mint or pinch your leg if you were talking too much. But even adults need to be reminded how to act as a church. We are the church in this building. And I just want to remind you that when Christians gather, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, whenever you assemble, let everything be done to edify, to build up one another. So the, the idea of coming to church is not just for what I can get out of it. It's to listen to God's word, of course. But it's also to talk to the Lord. But then it's also to talk to one another, to, to encourage each other. I mean, bear in mind that we all, every week when we show up, we've all come from a different circumstance. Some of us had a great week. We're glad. Some of us are sad, mad, struggling, bitter, in sin. Um, but there's something that brings you back. If you're here, I hope it's because... You have an interest in Christ. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. But as you, as you leave this morning, I want to encourage you to meet people. Don't just go with your own little group, but encourage people. Maybe say, hey, let's go out for coffee sometime. Just get to know people, build relationships, and, and, and try to find out what's going on in other people's lives as we pray for one another. But this morning, if you're, you're joining us, we're going to to do what the Bible tells us to do when we gather, and that is that Christians should pray. We're going to pray for our country. Um, we're going to pray for a number of things. But I want to invite you to join me. Now, this is a discipline. When one person is leading in prayer, we pray along with them. We say, yes, Lord, amen. I agree, Lord. I want to see that happen. So this is, this is important to God that as a church we pray. So we're going to start off in 1 Timothy 2. It says, I encourage you that as you gather, entreaties and prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings be made. So think about what you're thankful for. doesn't mean everything's going great in your life. Everybody can be thankful if things are going great in your life. Christians are called to give thanks always, to rejoice in the Lord always. So join me as we start off. I'll kind of lead, give you some ideas, and then pray, you know, just you and the Lord. Talk to the Lord about these things, and then I'll, I'll wind this up in a few moments. So let's start. Father, we just want to begin by approaching you by faith through Jesus Christ. You said in the Bible, no one comes to God but through Christ. So we believe that through the, the sacrifice of Jesus and our faith in his finished work, that you will listen to us. Take a moment now and just thank the Lord for the blessings that he's given you, even for your trials. Just praise him for your salvation and your blessings. for our family, for our health, for our country, for our salvation. Now take a moment to pray for our nation. The Bible says, pray for your rulers that the church might lead a godly life in peaceableness. Pray for freedom from persecution and pray for revival among the churches in America, that there would be solid Bible preaching and teaching and holiness and, and the Spirit of God working powerfully to stand against sin.
Pray now for those who are being persecuted all over the world. There are Christians in prison in the Middle East, in China, North Korea, all over. There are lots of people suffering for their faith in Christ. Pray for God to strengthen and protect them. Pray for all the children and youth of our church right now as as parents are trying to raise their children to follow Christ. Pray for parents and Sunday school teachers and youth workers. Pray for those who are new Christians. We have baptized 13 people recently. Pray that they will not fall away, but they'll grow strong in the Lord and they'll put their roots down and not be taken back by Satan. Pray for marriages. So many people are struggling in their marriage. It's, it's, it's devastating in our culture. Pray for repentance, for forgiveness, for love, for restoration and perseverance. Pray now for the lost people that, that, that are in this world. There are billions of people that don't know Christ. The Bible says pray for them. God desires all men to be saved. Think of someone you know who's not saved and pray for them to become a Christian. Maybe they're here today. Pray for them to get saved. Father, as we read your word now and study together, may your word go forth in power and may you change our church and help us to grow and edify one another. Lord, we pray for those who are struggling with anxiety and depression and addictions and fear. Lord, just bless your church and and strengthen us, strengthen our young people, help them to be uncompromising. And Lord, we love you, we thank you for meeting with us and we thank you for this country. We thank you for your word and for this church and for our leaders. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. If you have your Bible, we're in the book of Numbers, chapter 22. We're doing a series on <coughs> God's people in the wilderness. And today, we're going to actually um, be on the last part of the book. So remember, they started over in Egypt when God led Moses to take them out of Egypt, cross the Red Sea down to Sinai, they got the Ten Commandments, and the book of Numbers, we've seen them wandering throughout the wilderness, and we're learning that we're like them, trying to get into the promised land, and we, we saw all kinds of things, we saw the, the way that they complained, we saw the disobedience of Korah, the rebellion, we saw how God provides for his people in his mercy, we saw how the Spirit of God brought them great discipline for their unbelief, they're wandering, but now we're way up on the plains of Moab and Jericho just across the river from Jericho, rather. And this is where the rest of the book is, from 22 to 36. It's the last couple years of their 40 years. But last week we saw that as they went up there, they defeated two Amorite kings, Og and Sion. Now they passed through Moab, and so here's a million people right on the edge of the promised land. But the Moabites, who were actually relatives of the Jews, they were descendants of Lot, 
really didn't have anything to be afraid of because they, they weren't there to, to take the Moabites' land. And they had passed through Moab, and Moab should have been thankful for them because the Amorites were oppressing the Moabites, and now they just killed Sion and Og. And so, so instead of the Moabites being glad, the Moabites try to attack and curse the Israelites. And it's a constant reminder as you read the Bible that this is Satan's goal. If you choose to follow Christ, if you hear the, the word of God and you repent of your sins and you believe in the Lord and you're forgiven, then Satan's going to do everything he can to try to turn you back. He'll tempt you sexually. He'll tempt you to doubt. He'll tempt you to fear. He'll tempt you to hate. He'll tempt you to grow bitter. And he's clever. Sometimes he uses persecution from without. So in some countries, they're just trying to stay alive because you'll be killed for being a Christian. Other cultures, he, he uses poison from within. He, he brings false teaching and comfort and sin and pleasure into the church. So in this case, it's kind of a combination of both. God's going to allow Balak to hire Balaam to curse the Israelites. So we're going to take two weeks to talk about Balaam. I want to encourage you to read through 22 through 24. It's a really fascinating story, a lot for us to learn. But let's pick up in the beginning of chapter 22. It says, Then the sons of Israel journeyed and camped in the plains of Moab opposite Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done for the, to the Amorites, and he was in great fear because of the people, for they were numerous, and Moab was in dread of the sons of Israel. Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now this horde will lick us up around like the ox licks up the grass. So Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of Moab at the time. So he's like, what can we do? We can't defeat them. I got an idea. Verse 5. So he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pethor, which is near the river. Now that's way back to the, the Euphrates and Tigris River. He sends back to Babylon to bring a famous soothsayer, diviner, fortune teller, omen seeker. This was common back then. You would hire people... And they would do weird things. They would cut animals up. And they would offer sacrifices. And then they would pray to the gods. And, and, and they could curse people. And sometimes it worked. Much like witchcraft and voodoo. Satan could sometimes use this. So Balaam was a, was a, a world-renowned soothsayer. Now as you're reading through the story of Balaam, if you only read this passage, you might think Balaam's a Christian. You might think Balaam was just a misled guy who kind of lost his way. But when you read what the Bible says about Balaam and all the other passages, don't for a moment think that Balaam was a believer. He was being used by God in spite of him, not because of him. So they go to hire him. Verse 5 says, he sent messengers to Balaam. And he said, behold, the people came out of Egypt. Behold, they cover the surface of the land and they're living opposite of me. He was like, all right, so what do, you, what do you want from me, Balaam? Now, therefore, please come and curse this people for me since, the, since they're too mighty for me. Perhaps I might be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For Now, notice this phrase, for I know this about you, dude. He whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. Now, I don't think he knew much about the nation of Israel. But Moses did when he wrote this, Right? Because if you're familiar with the Bible, that, that phrase, I will curse those who curse you, I'll bless those who bless you, that goes all the way back to the beginning of God's people 
the nation of Israel, when God first created the nation of Israel, he called Abraham and he said, I'm going to make a nation out of you. You're going to be my people and I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. So here we see Moses, I think, is dropping that in there as an illusion, like we know this isn't going to work because you can't curse God's people. You can only bless them. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with fees for, now don't miss this, fees for divination. This was not a this was not something he was going to do for gratis. He was like, uh, you know, the meter's running here, pal. How much is this going to cost? Okay, now that's a big deal because he's going to do his stuff, and we're going to see him doing his divination, but it's at the end of the day, don't miss that phrase, fees, right? Because the New Testament keeps telling us how greedy, how wicked, and how selfish Balaam was, and it was all about the almighty dollar. That's what was driving him. So, Balak thought, you know, I'll send them whatever, a couple cases of good liquor and some wine and gold and some treasure, and he'll come and do it. So the elders of Moab and the elders departed with the fees, and they came to Balaam and repeated Balak's words to him. He said, well, listen, spend the night here, and I'll bring back word to you as the Lord may speak to me. The leaders of Moab stayed with Balaam, and then God comes to Balaam in the night. Who are these men? with you. Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent word to me. Now again, don't be fooled and think, oh, Balaam's a godly guy. Behold, there's a people who came out of Egypt. They cover the surface of the land. Now come curse them for me. Perhaps I may be able to fight against them and drive them out. That's what he told me, God. God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You shall not curse them. They are blessed. Now, is there anything that's not clear about that? Do not go with them, right? You're like, well, that's just your interpretation. No, I think God's not giving a suggestion. It's a very clear command. Do not go. Should have been end of the discussion. So Balaam rose in the morning. He said to Balak's leaders, go back to your land. The Lord refused to let me go. You're like, you go, Balaam. Doesn't stop there. The leaders of Moab arose and went back to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. What? He's talking to me. Does he not know who I am? Uh, I know what I did. I didn't send enough money. All right, go back. Offer him some more money. Then Balak again sent leaders more numerous and more distinguished than the former. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing I beg you hinder from coming to me. In other words, I didn't mean to insult you. You know, let, let's take a look. I will indeed honor you richly. I will do whatever you say to me. So he's just, he's just offering him more stuff. You know what I, I see here? I see, I smell the sulfur, don't you? Satan, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. This is how the devil works. He'll offer you pleasure. He'll offer you honor. He'll offer you popularity. But there's a price to pay, and that's disobedience, right? So, Balaam should have said, are you crazy? Just go home. I already told you. End of discussion. I'm not compromising with God. But now we're starting to see Balaam. He says, well, you know, if Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I can't do anything small or great, contrary to the command of God. Now, he should have said, go home. But instead, he says, well, you know, why don't you stay here tonight? I'll find out what else the Lord will speak to you. Wait a minute. 
Do not go with them. But look at all this money. Hey, you know what? Let me, let me just, you ever see yourself in this? God says, don't do that. And we start trying to find a way. Well, I, but you know, you have to understand, Lord, it's a bad idea. Now, you say, oh, you're just speculating. You'll see, right? He's already headed downhill. How can I get this money? And then God does something. You're like, wait a minute. God came to Balaam at night and said to him, if the men have come to call you, rise up and go with them. You're like, wait, I thought you just said, don't go with them, right? Why would God say, don't go with them, and now say, go with them? Well, I'm going to make a suggestion here. When we're stubbornly going against what God has already told us what to do, book of Romans chapter 1 says, sometimes God gives men over, right? He, he, he'll restrain for so long, and they'll say, all right, if that's where you're going to go, I'm going to give you over to the consequences. So God decides to use Balaam as his puppet for his glory. But don't think for a moment that this was a good thing or God changed his mind. Because as soon as he goes, God's angry. Right? So, Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey. He's all excited. He's like, moolah. Right? And he went with the leaders of Moab. But God was angry. Because he was going. Because he already told them, don't go. Why are, you, why are you hanging around with these people? Why are you listening to the counsel of the ungodly? And then we have this amazing story. Like, this is crazy, right? God was angry because he was going, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. Now, when you read in the Bible about the angel of the Lord, there's lots of stuff about angels. But when you read the phrase, the angel of the Lord, sometimes you might as well just say, Jesus, right? He's called in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord. And, and I'm going to suggest that this is Jesus. And he's standing there as Balaam's coming along on his donkey with his two servants with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his sword drawn in his hand, that can't be good. Anytime you're walking up to somebody and they have a sword in their hand, probably should pause for a moment. Now, what's, what's crazy here is how can the donkey see the Lord and Balaam is blind to it, right? So the donkey turns off from the way and went into the field. Now, I read something interesting. In that culture, when animals acted strangely, it was common for them to see that as a sign from God. But Balaam's stubborn, and, and there's a reason why God chose to use a donkey, right? So Balaam strikes the donkey, bam, bam, bam. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs, a wise man regards the life of his beast. I want to do your pets a favor. If you beat your pet, stop it. If you're a Christian, don't be beating your pets because you're angry. But I'm not here to represent PETA. Let's get back to the, to the point here. Then the angel of the Lord stood in the narrow path of the vineyards with a wall on this side, and a wall on that side. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed herself to the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. You ever have one of those times where you just sit down for a couple minutes? Let me just find something on TV. I put on bull, bull riding. Who watches rodeos and bull riding? If you do, that's cool. You put your chaps on, but I don't. Anyway, so this bull is still in the gate and he jumps up and down and he's crushing the guy's leg. Well, he's still in the gate and I'm, and I'm visioning this donkey just smashing his leg and he flips out on the donkey. So he struck her again. 
Then the angel of the Lord went forward and stood in a narrow place where there was, all right, this was, you, 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 there's no way to turn aside this time. Here's the Lord with a sword in his hand. This isn't going to be pretty, right? When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam was angry. He's beating the donkey a third time. Like, Balaam. And then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. You don't see that very often, right? We all heard that, you know, donkey comes into the bar. Hey, why the long face? But donkeys don't talk, okay? So God allows the donkey to speak. Now, we learn in the New Testament, the Bible says, in the King James, he was rebuked by a dumbass. Okay? So God has fascinating ways of speaking through people, right? If he can use Balaam, he'd probably use us. But I want you to note, or use the donkey, I want you to note that he's being rebuked by his pet. Mate, I wrote in my Bible years ago, can animals think, right? Is he, it's just they can't talk? You know, I saw a far side one time I had this lady talk to her dog. Now, Tippy. Don't lick out of the dishwasher, Tippy. Now, I'm going to give you a treat, Tippy. And I said, this is what dogs hear. Blah, 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 Tippy. Blah, 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 Tippy. Blah, blah, blah. But maybe they do. I don't know. Are they going to be in heaven? I'll leave that to Disney. But here's the question. Why would God let a stubborn donkey speak? Right? Because in essence, I think Balaam's going to show us that he's the donkey because he's stubbornly going against God. But the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1, God in the Old Testament spoke to the fathers and prophets in many portions and in many ways, even here through a donkey. Then Balaam said to the donkey, you made a mockery of me. The donkey's like, why you beat me? You made a mockery of me. Now, here's the thing. If you get angry, right, because somebody hurt your feelings, right, or somebody insulted you, or somebody made you look bad in front of other people, right, you made a mockery of me. In front of who? Two of your servants? Right? Aren't our hearts deceitful? We're more worried about somebody making us look bad than what God thinks. Balaam says, you know what? If I had a sword in my hand, I would have killed you by now. And the donkey's going, yeah, speaking of sword in the hand. The donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life to this day? Have I ever been accustomed to doing this? No. Now look at this verse. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. And he saw the angel of the Lord. Remember, he just finished saying, if I had a sword, I'd kill you, boy. Right? And then he looks up and there's the Lord with a sword in his hand. Wow. And he bowed all the way to the ground. You think he would have learned something here, but he didn't. The angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? I have come out as an adversary against you. This is God talked to him. I'm, I came out against you because your way was contrary to me. Now, I want you to think about that. There's only two paths. A way that is obedient to God, you're trusting him and following him. Or if you're not, you're not doing your thing, you're walking contrary to God. And we know where that ends up. If you're not a Christian, you're going to end up in hell. And if you are a Christian, God loves you just as you are, just too much to leave you that way. And he'll take you to the woodshed. It's never a good idea to walk 
in defiance and disobedience to God, and yet we're so foolish. Our sin is so deceitful, and that's why we need the Word of God to remind us and correct us and, and tell us it's always good to stay on the narrow path, confess our sins, and obey God regardless of what happens. God will bless those who obey Him. I surely would have killed you if it wasn't for your donkey. If that was me, that donkey would have been my best bud. For the I'd been like, come on, man, you can sit at the table with me. You saved my life, right? I'd have, I'd have, I'd have loved that donkey. I'd probably name him Otis. And I'd call him Donkey Odie. All right, um, Balaam, that's too high level. Yep. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I didn't know that you were standing in the way against me. Now, again, he sounds like such an obedient fellow. Oh, if it's displeasing to you, I'll turn back. And God's going, I already told you, don't do this, right? You've already deceived yourself. That's what's scary about sin. The Bible says our hearts become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. At the end of the day, the, the Bible is very clear. Balaam is driven by greed and, 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 and lust for honor and money, right? So there's no question here that he's in the wrong way. He's opposite of God. But again, God's going to let him go. The angel of the Lord said, no, go with him. But you shall speak only the word which I tell you. Now, here's the thing. God used Balaam in spite of Balaam. Not because of Balaam. Because everything that Balaam said ended up to be right on. But that's because God was using him. But we don't want to confuse that. God can use a godless person to accomplish God's purposes. But not without personal cost. See, Judas was used by God. When Jesus sent out the twelve, Judas was casting out demons just like the rest of them. But on Judgment Day, Jesus said, some people who call me Lord, Lord, and said, didn't we cast out demons in your name and prophesy? He goes, I never knew you. You practice wickedness. And so you don't want to just look at somebody and say, oh, well, you know, God used them. But are they living a life of surrender to Christ and obedience to Christ? It's not, well, if it works, then it's good. When Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him. <clears throat> Balak's like, now we're talking. He, he, I just had to raise his, his fee, and he's on his way. Let's have a big banquet. So, so he, he has a party for him, and then he, he rebukes him. He's like, what took you so long, pal? What do you think? I'm a cheapskate? Didn't I urgently send to call you, verse 37? Why don't you come to me? Am I really unable to honor you? I got deep pockets, buddy. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna make it big, right? So Balaam says, hey, I've come to you, but... What, do you think I'm just going to speak anything at all? The word that God puts in my mouth, that's what I'm going to speak. Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kirsuizer, and Balak sacrificed oxen and sheep, sent some to Balaam, and the leaders who were with him were like, have a big feast. Then it came about in the morning that he took them to the high places of Baal. Now, don't miss that. He didn't just pick any old, let's just go up on a cliff so he can look down on the people. The high places of Baal, this is where they wickedly worshipped Baal. If you know anything about Baal, it's disgusting. The practices. They would burn their children. They would do horrible things in worship of Baal. He went to the Baal church, right? Let's go up to the Baal church. Baal's like, lead on. You know, what do I have to do to get that money you've been telling me about? And he saw from there a portion of the people. If you remember back in the beginning of the book, we saw those, those sketches of like millions of people down in the valley. He can't even see them all, there's so many of them. And later on, he's going to go, oh, wow, how fair are your tents, right? Now, 
they had, they had a style, right? Like I said, they would kill animals. There's Mesopotamian literature of total pagans doing this. So don't again go, oh, Balaam's so spiritual. Look, build seven altars and prepare seven bulls and seven rams for me here. Balak did as Balaam had spoken. He offered up a bull and ram, and then Balak said, stand beside your offering, and I will go. Now, what we don't see here, but we learn from the other passages, is he was going to go and do his fortune-telling and his divination and his omen-seeking. He wasn't just going to go pray to the living God, because it's going to happen three times, and the third time, he goes, I'm not doing that anymore. He doesn't go, and so right now, Balaam's just doing his thing. This is what I do for money, right? So let me, let me hocus-pocus. But again, God is going to be above this. The Bible says everyone's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He's just a puppet. He's not being obedient, but God wants to use him to bring a message of encouragement to his people. Now, God met Balaam, and he said to him, I have set up the seven altars. I've offered a bull. But notice verse 5. Then the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth, and he said, Return to Balak, and you shall speak thus. So we returned to him, and behold, he was standing beside his burnt offering, he and all the leaders of Moab. So it's like, this is going to be cool. Let's take a look at that. What did he say? What did he say? We're going to come to that, but I want you to think about this. Then the Lord put a word in his mouth. I want you to think about this little, this little hole that we, what do we call that, the pie hole? That thing has tremendous potential. Now, for Christians, the Bible says, let no unwholesome words come out of your mouth. Only let words come out of your mouth that minister grace to other people to edify them. And so, even though God was using Balaam in spite of him, this is a good thing, and this is something we as Christians should think about, that we can bless our spouse. We can bless our children. We can say something encouraging. We can share a, a scripture, a poem, a verse, a song. Words have a tremendous power to build people up. And so, in the New Testament, when Christians gathered, it said, it said don't forsake assembling, but, but consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, encouraging one another. And so again, relationally, don't just walk out of here. Meet somebody. Hey, what's going on? How can I pray for you? How can I get to know you? But let's pray that God will use us as a church and that rather than using our mouth to, to be full of garbage or Satan's helpers like, like Peter, ah, you have done that, and Jesus goes, get behind me, Satan using our words to bless people and encourage them and, and build them up and, and speak truth into their lives. So, let's see what he had to say. Now, this is the first of a number of discourses. Balaam's just, the Holy Ghost is taking over. Oh, he's just speaking, okay? And sometimes God will speak, and he doesn't even know what he's saying. Like Caiaphas, he made a prophecy, he didn't even know it. Saul would prophesy. But as you read for next week, the rest of these these things, they're awesome to see the things that Balaam said. The Holy Spirit just comes upon Balaam and he makes these wonderful predictions about the future of God's people, about the coming of the Messiah. This is where, if you remember back at Christmas when we talked about we have seen his star in the east, the wise men came. That's in this Balaam prophecy. He, he speaks of a star and, and of a king that's going to come to the people of Israel. But let's just look at the first one. Now remember, Balak hired him to curse these people, right? So he goes, all right, you ready? And Balak's like, let it fly, right? So when he gets done this, Balak's mad at him. He goes, that's not what I hired you for. But he couldn't help it. God was speaking through him. 
So he took up his discourse. Now, notice that it's indented because it's in Hebrew and, and, and it's a poetic parallel. From Aram, Balak has brought me. Moab's king from the mountains of the east. Come and curse Jacob for me. Come denounce Israel. See the, see the repetition? Curse Jacob, denounce Israel. But how? How? How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? Now, that's kind of funny. Can you picture Balak? He's like, start the cursing. He's like, how? And Balak's like, wait, what? Right? That's a good verse. How about this one? If God be for us, who can be against us? Right? The devil wants nothing but bad for you, evil. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. If you're a child of God, you are forgiven, and no weapon formed against you can stand. You are in the palm of Jesus, and nothing that Satan desires to do to, to take you away from God can happen, because at the end of the day, God keeps us. And what a wonderful reminder that if God be for us, who can be against us? But then he doesn't stop. He's like, let me tell you what I see. I see him, the nation of Israel, from the top of the rocks. They're looking down on all these people. And I look at him from the hills. Behold. And then and I want you to notice what he says about God's people. A people who dwells apart. A people who will not be reckoned with the nations. And then he's going to go, I want to be like them. Now this is a big deal here. Don't miss this verse. A people who dwells apart and will not be reckoned among the nations. You tracking with that? What's that have to do with God's people? A people who dwells apart and will not be reckoned among the nations. Let me just be real straight up. If you're a Christian, God is calling you and me to be different from the world. The Bible says, come out from among them and be separate and touch not the unclean thing, for I will be a God to them and I will dwell among them. And one of the reasons why Christianity in America is so pathetically ineffective and weak is because of Christians in America who are not dwelling apart, who are not turning away from sin, who are not walking in, in repentance and gospel-driven humility. But we come to church on Sunday, oh, praise the Lord, and then we go and live just like godless pagans with the same sexual ethics, the same ethics at work, the same values. It's all about happiness and money and pleasure. God is calling us as Christians to not be caught up with this world. Don't be like them. They're on their way to hell. And so as a believer, it's a great reminder. We have this privileged opportunity to be lights in a dark world, at your work. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, young people, at your school, it says, shine as a light in a crooked and diverse or perverse people holding forth the word of life. Every one of us has an opportunity to go back to our family, our job, our neighborhood, and be different, a people who dwell apart, a people who aren't reckoned among the godless nations. So when people are you know, the list goes on at work, the way they talk, the way they act. We're not a bunch of self-righteous hypocrites standing around going, oh, look at those 
dirty, wicked people. But we're humbly different. We're praying that God will help us to say, no, that's, that's, not, that's not what I believe. No, I, no I'm not going to do that. That's not right. I love the Lord Jesus. Oh, what's wrong with you? I was just at an outing recently. Come on, drink some more of this. No, I'm good. Right? There's nothing wrong with having a drink, but getting drunk is a sin. Having sex before you're married is a sin. Looking at porn and all of the stuff that goes along with that, that's sin. Right? And we're called by God. And to neglect time with Christ is sin. To go, oh, I'm too busy. I don't have time to be with the Lord. To treat your church life as casual. Oh, I'll come when there's nothing else going on. God is calling us to be set apart so he can use us for his glory. And what's really cool is that sometimes unbelievers notice that. Notice what Balaam says. Who can count the dust of Jacob? This is like the promise that God had made to, to Abraham. I'm going to make you like the dust of the, of the earth. Who can number a fourth part? I can't even count. There's so many of them, I can't even count one quarter of them. And then he says, you know what? Let me die the death of the upright. Let my end be like his. If only that was true, Balaam. If only you really believed that. Because we're going to learn next week there are some scathing denunciations of Balaam. But as you look at Christians, we ought to be living in a way where people are like, I, I want what they got. They're going through trouble, but they don't seem hopeless. They seem to have a, a, a peace, a confidence that God is with them. That's what we're called to do. Paul said in Philippians 1, I pray that in life or death, Christ will be exalted in my body. Pray that Christ will shine through us in a way that, that people will want to, to say, hey, I want what they have. Not that we're flipping out, freaking out, complaining about everything under the sun. God knows how many of us have complained about the weather this week. The Lord's like, hey, will you let me be God, please? Right? So, so just, just living for Jesus, loving Jesus, loving others, loving his word, those are the things God's called us to do. Well, we'll stop there, but I want you to read on because some of the things that Balaam's going to prophesy are powerful. But I want to I take some time to, to remember a couple of things as we close. Number one, this isn't the last guy that Satan offers pleasure and honor and popularity if you'll just disobey God. And some of you need to think that through, right? Yeah, Satan, Satan will love to give you some pleasure at a cost with the wrong people at the wrong time in the wrong place. And you need to see the end of that. The Bible says stolen bread is sweet until it turns to gravel in your mouth. And so Satan's called a tempter for a reason. And he's not done tempting you to go, oh, I don't know if I believe that stuff. That's too hard. I'm not doing it that way. God's word is true, and, and the way of the Lord is, is not changing. And so pray that we won't fall because we're more worried about what people think about us than what Christ thinks about us, or whether I'm going to make another dollar versus am I going to do what God wants me to do with my life. Secondly, it's good to be reminded that going, God, going against God's revealed word is dumb as a donkey, and it's dangerous. If you know what God is telling you, don't do that. The Bible's clear. Whose idea would it be to continue in that path? How's that been going so far? 
If you're a Christian, David said, when I kept quiet about my sin day and night, the hand of the Lord was heavy upon me. Surrender to the Lord and, and, and learn to walk in his ways. Jesus said, come to me. Take my yoke upon you. My, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. You'll find rest for your soul. It's not like God's up there with 5,000 commandments. Don't do this. Don't do that. It's a surrendered heart that says, I want to live for Christ. And I want to turn away from sin. And I don't want to take my values from the world. But there's a third thing I want you to start praying. Pray that God will open your eyes so that you see things with the mind of Christ, not with the mind of the world. I pray this all the time for myself and for some others. In, Philipp- in Ephesians 1, this is what Paul prayed for the, the Ephesian Christians. He said, since God has opened the eyes of your heart, I pray that he will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your heart being lightened so that you might know the hope of your calling. So you're thinking about heaven. So that you might know the riches of his glorious inheritance. You're thinking about how rich and how blessed you are to be a child of God with the Holy Spirit. And so that you might know the power of God that's available to you who believe in Christ. And in many ways, these riches, these blessings of God are right there in front of us. God says, I'll give you power. I'll give you blessing. I'll reveal Jesus to you. And we're down here blind and stubborn. The Bible says, walk by faith, not by sight. The things which we see, they're temporary. Like I would rather you not back into my car. But if you back into my car, it's a car. But the things which are unseen, these are eternal. The souls of our children, the souls of our neighbor, the reality of Satan, the reality of hell, the reality that Jesus is coming again. These are the things that God wants us to see. And so just as he opened up Balaam's eyes, pray that God will open our eyes to see things the way he sees things. We have the mind of Christ. Things aren't always what they seem when you watch a movie. Be discerning. When you think about the values of the world, think more deeply. Smell the sulfur. See when Satan might be attacking you, coming against you. The Bible tells us to fix our eyes on Christ. And so one of the ways that God does this is in this book. So this is what David prayed in Psalm 119. He said, Lord, open my eyes to behold wondrous things out of your word. If you're bored with the Bible, or you're, ah, I don't read the Bible very much, I can tell you what the problem isn't. It's not the Bible. Okay? When your favorite song comes on the radio, do you turn it off because you heard it before? So I understand that we can get bored at times and, and we become dull, but that's us. That's our heart. So the psalmist prayed this. He said, Lord, revive me in your word. Pray that God will open our eyes to the word so that the things that are important, that matter, will be meaningful. It doesn't mean every morning you'll jump up, whoa, guess what I just saw in the Holy Bible, right? But Satan wants to keep you out of this book. He doesn't want you to think the thoughts of Christ, the mind of Christ, the words and promises of Christ. So be praying, Lord, open my eyes. Help me to see above my circumstances. Like Joseph, when he got beat around by everybody on earth, he goes, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Some of you are going through trials right now. The mind of Christ reminds you all things work together for good. The word of God tells us, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. So pray that as Christians, we'll point one another to Christ. 
will see things from God's perspective. Oh, I don't have enough money. Oh, I forgot. God didn't promise that he would meet our needs. Or I can't stop doing that. Oh, I forgot. God, God never said I can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, right? So the Lord gives us his word, and we pray that we will teach our children to walk by faith, not by sight. That's what kept Paul from being discouraged. Read 2 Corinthians 4. He goes, I'm not discouraged. My outer man's perishing, but my inner man, my soul, the unseen reality of who I am, that's what's most important. Becoming like Jesus, those are the things that matter. So as we go today, just remember, hey, we're God's chosen people, just like the Israelites. Satan wants to curse us, and God goes, not going to happen. I'm for you. I'm not against you. There's no condemnation. You're forgiven. You're my child. And I've put you in this world to advance the gospel. And God can turn our trials into trouble or our troubles into triumphs. He, he can work everything for good. So as a church, let's pray that we'll move forward in love and unity and realizing that, man, God is with me. He, he, he desires to bless us. But for some of you, you've been dabbling in the sins of the world, and, and then you want to know, well, why is my life all out of control? God says, your way is contrary to me. So turn and trust and follow him. Those of you who are doing that, praise the Lord. Keep making disciples. Keep praying for your kids. If you've got a wayward spouse, don't give up. I just, uh, God blessed me this week. I've been praying for one of my loved ones uh, through marriage. This kid was a mess, Right? But this week I just heard, hey, guess what? He went on a retreat for the weekend. He came home and he's led his family in family devotions this whole week. He's meeting with the pastor every week. He's just transformed. Never saw that coming if you're looking at the world. But as you walk by faith and you keep praying, God is still in the business of changing people. And let's pray that he will continue to use us like Balaam's donkey. Amen? And if God uses us, remember Palm Sunday? Remember everybody cheering for Jesus? You heard me say this before. I wonder if for a moment that donkey was like, yeah, don't go there, right? To God be the glory. He uses us with all of our frailties, amen? So don't wait till you have it all together to expect God to use you. Just yield to him this morning. And if you're not a Christian, come to him. And if you want to talk about that, we'll be glad to help you. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you so much for the word of God. Lord, our hearts are saddened that Balaam, having had great opportunity to turn to you, chose the way of, of compromise and pleasure. And the story gets worse for Balaam, but better for your people because of your promises. So Lord, help us to talk about your word with one another and encourage each other today, we pray in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Have a great day, and Lord willing, we'll pick it up next week.